0: Honored this morning to have with us uh, with Jerry and Rita Rhodes, we have Brother Bob Calvert visiting with us this morning from up in uh, Arab, Alabama. Brother Bob uh, pastored here for twelve years, um, and he and his family uh, had a great work here and a great ministry. And Brother Bob told me a joke this morning. Brother Bob doesn't mind. I'm going to share it with you. He said that uh, a preacher one time had be, uh, in his sermon had gotten a little bit lengthy. And a man just got up out of his seat and walked out, began to walk out of the uh, sanctuary. And the preacher said, Sir, where are you going? The man said, I'm going to get a haircut. And the preacher said, Well, why didn't you do that before you got here this morning? And he said, Well, I didn't need one when I got here. Thank you, Brother Bob. (laughs) So let's read these seven verses and move on. Let's look at God's Word here and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Then they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The world of Christianity is shifting and changing all the time. If we look back to the early 20th century, when my grandparents were born, um. 10%, only 10% of Christians lived in the non-Western world. The world that we consider North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, 90% of the Christians in the world lived in these places. But now, as we are continuing on into the 21st century, 70% of the world's Christians live in the non-Western world. More Christians worship in Anglican churches in Nigeria each week than all the Episcopal and Anglican churches of Great Britain, Europe, and North America combined. There are more Baptists in the Congo than in Britain. There are more people in church every Sunday in Communist China than in all of Western Europe. Nepal is the birthplace of Buddhism and the only official Hindu kingdom in the world. But several years ago, the Lord saved Locke Benadry, a a revolutionary freedom fighter and national martial arts champion. That's easy for y'all to say. Whose father had groomed him to become prime minister. Today, Locke shares with crowds of 65,000 people how Jesus revolutionized his life. He's been arrested more than 30 times for preaching the gospel. Listen to this. There are now 700,000 Christians in Nepal. And this is amazing considering that 50 years ago, Nepal was considered an unreached people group. Now, why does the word of God spread so rapidly and grow so greatly in some places while it remains stagnant in other places? Luke is the author of the book of Acts and Luke seems to be deeply interested in the spread of God's word and the growth of the church. Look at these verses, that are listen to these verses that I'll read to you. In Acts 2.41, he says, So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, 4, Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came uh, to be about five thousand. Acts five fourteen, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both men and women. Acts thirteen forty nine and the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. Acts sixteen five. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And in Acts nineteen twenty. So the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily. Luke is very concerned about the growth of the church and about the spread of the word of God. Most churches are concerned about growth until they experience it. Most churches pray that numbers will increase, but then they get uncomfortable as soon as the church that they love starts to grow. Because growth brings change, we don't like change. Growth brings problems, and those problems can be painful. And soon we find ourselves longing for the good old days when everything was so simple and we knew everyone's name and everyone was just like us. Then because of the discomfort in the church and all these problems, we end up hurting the very growth we thought we wanted, and we end up back where we started Hoping that someday we can grow. Now Acts chapter 6 relates a story from the early church. And it begins with this phrase. It begins with a statement about growth. And it ends with a statement about growth. It begins with the phrase, the disciples were increasing in number. And it ends by reiterating, the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. But between these two phrases... At the beginning and the end between these two phrases there is a big problem that threatened the vitality and the growth of the early church and Luke addresses that here and he shares that with us, this great history lesson from the church and we look and we see that even in Jerusalem distraction and division could be a problem in the church. Now think about what we've said here this morning. We've talked about adding, multiplying and division. I don't like math. Many of you are looking at me and you're saying, it's bad enough to listen to you lecture on history, but now you can't do math and you're going to try to teach us about math. I promise you, I can't do math that well and I'm not going to belabor the points, all right? But there is a lot of interesting stuff here when you look at it. When you look at the book of Acts and you look at this very first church there in Jerusalem, they were doing a lot of adding. They were doing a lot of multiplying. But now, for the first time, they face division. Luke describes a two-part problem in Acts chapter in Acts 6, verse 1, and the first part is division. There's a conflict here. There's two groups of widows, and there's two groups of people here in Jerusalem. First of all, they are the Hellenists, and those are the, the Jews who speak Greek. And then there are the Hebrews, who obviously speak Hebrew or Ar- Aramaic, and... The widows of one of these groups is being neglected. Now this argument and this dislike didn't start right here. The Hebrews didn't like the Hellenists a long way back because as the Greeks began to expand their empire, they began to uh, kind of impose their will upon everybody and they began to impose their culture upon everyone and the other places resented it so obviously those Hebrews who were here didn't want the Hellenists there to begin with and now these Hellenists are here because they had been there on the, in, in Jerusalem for the Passover and Pentecost. They became Christians and after becoming converted they decided that they wanted to stay in Jerusalem because they wanted to be under the teaching of the apostles. Now, think about this. This church in Jerusalem had probably prayed and said, Lord, we want to spread this gospel. We want other people to come to know this. And when they were praying that, they didn't say, everybody except those Greek-speaking people. We don't really want them here with us. We just want people who speak Hebrew. Now, think about that. How many different personalities are in this sanctuary right here right now? Do all of you always like each other and agree on everything? Absolutely not. But when we pray and we ask God to increase our numbers and we ask God to bless us with souls and we ask God to to bring those people in, are we allowed to say, God, we want this person and this person and that, but not that person? No, God does that, and. Let me ask you this, have you ever ever been involved with with leading someone to Jesus and you are so excited because you've led that person to Christ and you're so excited in your heart and in your soul, you've won a soul to Christ and then that person turns out to be just a complete and utter mess? I have. Because you know what? I didn't ask God, I didn't say, hey Lord, let me go down to the grocery store and run into somebody whose life is just all together and who has everything perfect in their life, their kids are perfect, they have a good job and all those things, let me meet that person today and lead them to Jesus so that I can win a soul but they won't be a problem to me. That doesn't happen. Most of the time the people who need Jesus are what? They're in desperate situations, a lot of them. And a lot of times when we lead those people to, to Jesus, And we bring those people into the church, they bring what? They bring problems with them. They bring a a, a messy life with them. But God said, go and search the highways and the hedges and bring them in. No matter who they are, no matter what their position, no matter what they're going through, go and get them and bring them in. Don't try to clean them up first and bring them in. Go and get them, bring them in, and, and, and win them to Jesus. Now, the widows are especially needy in these days. It's common for a widow to move to Jerusalem because it is is said to be good to live in Jerusalem in your final days, to die there and to be buried in the Holy Land. So a lot of widows come and move. And because of that, the Jewish synagogues had always taken care of all these Jewish widows. But now these Jewish women are being converted to Christianity And it's left up now to who? Slept up to the church in Jerusalem to take care of them. And they've never done this before. And all of a sudden, they're winning 3,000 people to Jesus. They're winning 5,000 people to Jesus. And that's just the men. Probably around this time, including women and children, there's probably about 20,000 people that have been won to the Lord. There's 12 apostles And they just can't keep up anymore. And so now this Jerusalem church has grown too far. The benevolent system that was set up in Acts chapter 4 is no longer working. And it causes division. And here's what's at stake. The spread of the gospel is at stake. Because these 12 apostles who are supposed to be praying and preaching are now everywhere around the city trying to put out fires and trying to help widows. And this is the very first major obstacle that the church will go through. People weren't happy. Can you believe that that would happen in a church? People weren't happy. But here's what happens. This happens all the time in the church. There are groups of people who feel neglected. In some churches, it could be uh, senior adults that feel neglected. It could be people who don't have children who might feel that there's too much attention paid to children. It could be people who who think that there's too much attention paid to children and not enough attention paid to youth, or too much attention paid to youth and not enough to children. And some people feel that other people get preferential treatment. And so what happens? We get problems. And today, we treat the church... Our society treats the church like a supermarket. It's like a place we want to shop. We want to come and evaluate the experience and see what it does for who? For me. I'm coming to church and I want to see what this experience does for me. I want to see how church meets whose needs? My needs. That's the society that we live in, the culture that has we have become when it comes to church. Now, let me ask you this. Think about your own personal self and why did you join a church? What was the reason that you joined this church or another church in particular? Maybe you were born in that church and you grew up there and you became a Christian in that church and it was just natural for you to progress in the church membership. A lot of you are in that same uh, situation but what about other people who come into a church and they join a the church what are the re- particular reasons that people join a church is it because maybe you like maybe you like that the preacher kicks stuff off the stage maybe you should maybe you were lucky and you showed up on a Sunday when I preached a good sermon and you thought well I like that preacher I'm gonna join that church maybe you like the music And you say, well, I like the music at that church. I'm going to join that church. Let me tell you about those two things. Preachers come and go. If you join a church because of the preacher, at some point you're going to be disappointed. The very first disappointment that Bree ever went through as a Christian was when her pastor left for the first time. She had a pastor leave. And I, I remember going and sitting with her in her house that day, and she was just devastated, and she said, I don't know I don't know what to do. And I said, here's what you do. you support the First Baptist Church. You join the First Baptist Church, you support the First Baptist Church no matter what. until God says into your heart that you're supposed to leave that church, you support that church. I was teaching her even before we ever got married. Maybe you join the church because you like the music. Guess what? Music changes. Music in churches today changes so fast. The more I read about about the state of music in the church, music, if, if we tried to keep up with the changing trends in church, we'd have to change every six months. And guess what? We'd change congregants about every six months. Because there'd be people who joined who said, well, I like the music we were playing six months ago, and now you're playing something different, and I don't like that, so I'm going somewhere where they play what I want to hear. And maybe you joined the church for the wrong reason. Here's why you joined a church. You joined the church because you spent time in prayer with God, and you ask Him for direction, and you ask Him, is this where I'm supposed to be? Where, Lord, can I go and most serve the most people and most be a benefit to other people? Where can I go and use my gifts and talents? And where can I go and be of use to you? And what can you, where can you most use me? And that's why you join a church. Because God placed you there. But you see, this early church didn't have any options. They're the only church in Jerusalem. There's no other option for these Hellenist uh, uh, widows. They can't just up and move. From New Hope Church to Old Hope Church, they've got to stay where they are. So it's up to these apostles to hit this problem and hit it head on and to deal with it. Now the second threat to this growing church is what happens when the problem is solved the wrong way. It becomes a distraction. In Acts chapter 6 verse number 2, apparently the apostles themselves had been criticized for the unfair food distribution, or for failing to give more hands-on time to addressing the problem. Can you imagine you have the 12 apostles who are teaching you, you have 11 of these 12 men who we know for certain walk with Jesus every day, listen to Jesus, heard his messages, and they're teaching you now, and you have the audacity to criticize an apostle. But these people were. Because they felt that their needs weren't being met. The apostles are looking at this and they're saying, we're being called away from the ministry of spreading the gospel in order to serve tables. And this is a major distraction. And it's a threat to the spread of the gospel. And so we've got to find a solution to this. Now what about as ministers? I know um, in my own world, when I first came to the church and I was a, a youth minister, and I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to, to bring all these kids in, and I wanted to have all these things going on. And here's what I here's what I did. I relied on who? I relied on me. I was afraid to ask anybody to help me. I was afraid to ask anybody to vol- volunteer or anything. And if you volunteered, it scared me to death because I didn't know what to tell you to do. And so I tried to do all of it by myself, and guess what happened? I about went crazy. Because I couldn't. And so I soon learned that there were people like Pam Jones and Dennis Ragsdale who were there and available and who wanted to help. And so I said, please, by all means, help me before I pull all my hair out. And it began to work better. And it began to be a better ministry and we were able to have kids who would come and who would stay because there was more than just me ministering to those kids. What if I tried to individually meet the needs of every person here in this congregation this week? If I personally, by myself, tried to come to each one of your houses and minister to you by myself this week, how would that go? Most of you probably aren't home, Most of you are are, are like the rest of you. You're so busy, you probably aren't home anyway. Those of you who are home don't want to be bothered by somebody just showing up at your house. So it probably just wouldn't work all that well to begin with. But it would be impossible, and this is what the apostles are looking at here. There's 12 of them, about 20,000 of the others, and they say we've got to come up with a solution. Look at verse number 2. They say this in verse number 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. But then in verse number 7, they say this, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the word of God continued to spread because the apostles didn't make the strategic mistake Of neglecting the word of God. They stayed true to what God had called them to do. Anything that threatens the ministry of the word. Even a pressing need. Is a distraction to spreading the word of God. Ministers should be humble servants. But they need a partnership. Now what is that partnership in our church? Here's what it is. In two weeks from now. We'll have the opportunity. To elect deacons. And those are the men who are partners with us. Here in ministry. Who help us to meet the needs of people. Who help us to serve the people. And who take those responsib- a lot of those responsibilities on. So that. I'm able to devote time. To studying God's word. To praying. And to preaching. Now. We'll talk a little bit more about this situation in a few minutes. Um, They give great description here as we go on. But here's what I want you to do from this point on until we get to that two weeks is to pray about the people who you will select to do that. Because as we're going to look at here in this second part, godly leadership can help solve these problems and help move the church forward. Godly leadership helps solve those problems and moves the church forward. Now, Luke's solution to these problems is found in verses 2 through 6. The apostles did this. They took this complaint, they took it seriously, and they listened. They listened to what the people had to say. There were plenty of things they could have done besides listen. They could have thrown the complainers out or they could have just ignored them. That's a favorite of a lot of leaders just don't respond at all. They could have passed the problem off to a committee, but the apostles took this seriously, and they responded. This was a hard situation. These people had come to the, the apostles with what sounds like bad news. There are people upset, and there are people who are unsatisfied, and it's become a serious problem, and we got to do something about it. Jerry Graham, who was the interim pastor here at one time, was a chaplain in the Army. And Jerry told me this in his training to become a chaplain. They taught him this. One of the very first things, one of his duties was to go and to give bad news to families. And he said in the beginning, that's a very hard thing to do if you've never done it, is to go and take bad news and give it to a family who's not expecting it. And they told Jerry this. They said, Jerry, bad news never gets easier with time. It's better to take it and give it early so that people can deal with it. And that's what happened here. People brought this news to the apostles, and the apostles took the problem seriously, and they didn't try to fix the problem alone. They focused on their calling. They were to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, And this is what Jesus called them to do. But instead of serving tables, they were called to serve the word of God. But either way, they were serving. Lee Iacocca, when I was a kid, he was credited with saving Chrysler Corporation. And he did a lot of commercials. Somebody once paid a compliment to Lee Iacocca. They said, Mr. Iacocca, I want to tell you how much I enjoy your TV commercials advertising Chrysler. Iacocca quickly replied, Sir, I could care less what you think about my commercials. What I want to know is what kind of car did you drive? See, he stayed stayed focused on what his purpose was. He knew he wasn't paid to be an actor. He was paid to sell cars. And he wanted you to buy a Chrysler. The apostles weren't interested in making people like them by serving tables. They wanted people to respond to the word of God, and they knew that the best way to do that was to do things differently than what they were doing. So they did this. They learned to delegate. They were given the important responsibility of serving tables, and here's what they did. They told the congregation to select seven men to oversee this work. Now, they didn't say to the congregation, the 12 of us are going to pick seven men to go out and serve you and to do this work. They wanted a partnership with a congregation. They wanted the congregation to have responsibility and ownership in it. And they knew that the only way for them to do that was for the congregation to pick those people that they knew. Now, again, situation here. I don't personally know everybody here as well as I do some. So it would be hard if I were going to say, hey, I'm going to pick five people. To be deacons in a couple weeks. I'm going to do that by myself. I don't know every qualified person here. So it would be unfair for me by myself to pick them, Because who am I going to pick? I'm going to pick five people who like me. Danny and four other people. <laughs> it's human nature. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick five people who like me. I like to be liked. It's hard in this job sometimes. But here's the deal. The apostles had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles knew this. The apostles knew that they had to completely rely on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told them, allow the congregation to pick. The congregation know the people, know these men. The congregation live with these men. The congregation see these men in action. They know who they are. They've seen their lives proved out over and over again. So allow the congregation to pick these men. We follow the same process here in our church. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to do that. This may have been scary for the apostles. Because all of a sudden, they're letting go of what they had been in charge of. What if the seven men messed this up? What if these seven men made things worse? Worse yet, what if these seven men were better at it than what the apostles were? How would that make the apostles look? I want to tell you this. I hope that the deacons that we choose are better at serving than I am. I hope they are. I hope that I can learn from them. And I hope they can learn from me. And I hope it is a transit through the years that over over time we learn from each other. Some men have better gifts and are more qualified at some things than pastors are. And that's what these apostles were saying here, is we want to find these best people and bring them to the forefront and let them use their gifts. But they established three criteria. They said they had to be men of good reputation, men who were full of the Spirit, and men who were wise. They had to be, in other words, they had to be men of character, Men of spiritual maturity, and men with practical common sense. They weren't looking for the most wealthy. They weren't looking for the best looking. They weren't looking for the most influential. They were looking for men who had proven their worth in everyday life. And so finally, they had to be team players. We see these leaders willing to team up with the people of God to get the work of the church done. They teamed up with the congregation. By letting them select the men. And then they confirmed the ones chosen by prayer and laying on of hands. There was so much wisdom in this. If you look at the seven names here who were chosen. These are seven men who all have Greek names. The Hellenists chose these men because they knew these men. And they knew that from this point on when they had a need they wouldn't be neglected. Because they had watched these men and they knew that they had good reputations. They knew that they could handle, they were going to be handling food distribution. They were going to be handling money distribution. They knew these men could be trusted in these things. They knew from their lives that they were full of the Holy Spirit because they saw their life growing and being more like Jesus. And they knew that they had. Wisdom. They had common sense. They could make decisions. So they team up with these seven new leaders. It's interesting that most of these men on the list, we don't know anything about. But two of them will come to play huge roles in the book of Acts. Um, One of them is named Stephen. And in verse number 8, we'll see him described as full of grace and power performing mighty great wonders and signs among the people. All of chapter 7 is about Stephen and his preaching and becoming the first martyr. Philip, who is chosen here, became a great evangelist. He led the church in its first great mission outside of Jerusalem in Samaria. So these two men, they weren't chosen just to set up chairs and fix coffee on Sunday. They were chosen to use their spiritual gifts to go and make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that in the history of our church, especially since I've been here, I have witnessed our deacons take a lead role in evangelizing our community. The men that have been chosen through the years since I've been here are men who take the lead in teaching share Jesus without fear. And organizing our ministry on Monday night to go out and to see people and to to check on people who are in need or people who've been absent or people who've visited our church. They've been led by deacons. I've seen some of the greatest soul winners that I have known in my life have been deacons in this church. So as we come to a place in a couple of weeks and you're wondering why am I preaching this sermon this Sunday and not next Sunday because Half of you who are here won't be here next Sunday because it's a holiday weekend and I wanted to catch the most of you I could at one time and give you 14 days to pray. But it's important. Here's why it's important. You may not have been with me through anything else I've said this morning, but get get with me right now. This is why it's important. We have a limited window of opportunity here in this community. We have done. We have been a part of some incredible ministries this year. With this yard sale in the back here, where hundreds of people came through, and then with Park Fest, where 900 people came, and many people gave their souls to the Lord. Vacation Bible School a couple of weeks ago, where people gave their lives to the Lord. And in a couple of weeks, Donna is leading a community-wide vacation Bible school with other churches, and we'll have an opportunity there to lead people to Jesus. We are at a, a crucial, critical point in our church to where these things are happening, but that doesn't mean that they'll continue to happen if we don't have godly leadership in place. Men who have a heart and soul to win people to Jesus and who are willing to do whatever it takes to get into the community and win those men to Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I am excited about the list of people that I looked at this Friday who have left their name on. There's a great mix of men on there, men who, of, of young men, who are full of energy and life and older men who are full of wisdom and who have lots of experience. And we have an opportunity to bring people into that group and to continue what we're doing. Men who will spur our our ministry staff on to be the best we can be and challenge us to be more evangelistic and, and better at discipling, but who will work with us in a partnership to do so. And win people to Jesus. I said this a couple of weeks ago uh, in my last sermon. We do a tremendous job at winning people to Jesus. But we're flatlining when it comes to discipleship. We're just not we're just not doing it. And leading people to Jesus and then not plugging them in and then not discipling them and teaching them how to be disciples who are winning other people to Jesus. It can't, it it just can't last that way. So will you pray over the next couple of weeks about these decisions? And you pray for me over the next couple of weeks for wisdom as I try to... um, be more hands-on and and grow us in that area of discipleship and helping us to not see people wonder Jesus and then six months later wonder, well, where's so-and-so? Well, we didn't plug them in. And now they didn't have a place to serve. They didn't know what to do, and they're just gone. And the odds of us going and pulling them back in, some of you who've been a part of this, very slim. We have a we have one opportunity most times. So pray. Pray for us to continue to win souls, but pray for us to do much better at keeping those people and involving those people. And pray about this election coming up in these next couple of weeks and how God can use five men to continue to see our church move forward and to continue to see us become the best we can for Jesus Christ. I spoke to our director of missions he will be here this evening. I sat down and had lunch with him the other day for about an hour. And we talked about all these things that are going on and, and all the surrounding churches in our county and how those we have about 20 to 25 churches in our county, that in the next five years, if something doesn't happen, they'll close their doors. Those people will be out without a place to worship because they've dwindled down so much. There was a time when they were evangelistic, soul-winning churches. Something happened along the way, and they stopped, and they dwindled down to a place to where the doors are going to close. Let's be a church that generations from now will still be here and still be here a presence in this community and people will know that the people at First Baptist Church love us, they pray for us, but most importantly, they want to see us come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lesson that we can learn there from a church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I pray to God this morning that you would spare our hearts on God to, to look for our neighbors, to look for our community, to look and to see what we can do to win more people to Jesus To know for certain that they have repented of their sins. And that they've turned and that they're following Jesus. And that after we baptize them, Lord, that they're plugged into a ministry. And that they are certain that they have a place to serve and they know how to use their gifts. God help us to be those people. Father, this morning there are people in this congregation, I'm certain, in a number this size. There are people here who've never repented of their sins and don't know Christ as Savior. (coughs) Father, during this time of invitation, during this time of worship and reflection, I pray that you would speak to their heart and show them their need for Christ. Father, there are those who need to do like Owen this morning and simply be obedient and follow you in baptism. May you spur their hearts on, Father, for anything they need to do, baptism, church membership, whatever it is, maybe they just need to come and pray for our church, for the things that we have in the future, the things that are going on. And Father, I pray that you're, you're, you would guide us and you would lead us and show us what we need to do. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?